our our uh, cemeteries. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. And it wasn't with my tribe; it was with all the tribes throughout the country. And so, by staying ready, you just continue to keep learning and educating. And I wanted to empower our non-native relatives. Is the way you honor us, and I keep telling every journalist that comes through, is learn about us, because we're we're sharing with you. Mascots is not a way to honor us. Wearing our regalia is not a way to honor us. But learning about us is a way to honor us. Educate yourself, empower yourself, and learn why we are here. And then when you come here, you're, you're ready. And I've told this to several hundred journalists the same way. Is it's it's uh, embarrassing for you as a national network to come here and not know about indigenous people. You should be ashamed of yourself that you didn't come prepared. Because I'm not here to give you Indian 101. So you know, it's, it's also in a good way is to empower them. So I want to share with you, there's Haskell Indian Nations University. Every college around the country has an Indian Center or a Native American Studies Department or Indigenous Nations Study Department. These are the key words you need to look for. And it turned into like educating every single day. And it just got overwhelming. And, you know, because I wasn't doing the work outside. And so what I did when I first got here was we seen the uh, action on uh, September 3rd when the dogs came through and the mercenaries, the first contact, the G4 security. And then Amy Goodman was here also. And I started just realizing as a filmmaker, I wasn't going to be able to film. I needed to document as a legal, visual narrative. And so I put my camera away and pulled out my phone and just started going Facebook Live. And uh, I realized at that time we are in the digital divide. I had to stand in certain places. And uh, I started noticing that the, at that time, the officers were all lined up along the road. And I go, why are they not stopping this? And so I decided to go down be the last guy out and go down and interview them. And they tried to throw me in jail. And so uh, at that time, uh, I saw non-native journalists say, they asked him for his credentials. He goes, hey, I'm a journalist. I don't have to give you anything. And he walked off. So I was like, well, follow key. And I did the same thing. And they says, grab him. And then the AIM guys came by and threw me in the back of the car before I even knew what was going on. And that's how it started, you know, people protecting me and, and telling the story, sharing the story. And as a, the actions for me, I, I, I had to go down and see where is the point of origin of this. So I was out 100 miles all the time. And I ran into these mercenaries all the time out there, you know. I'm a big guy too, you know, so it didn't seem as intimidating, but there's a fear factor that I've lost. And a few years ago, that fear factor was when I almost died. And I realized that that's helped me here because I know it's a beautiful death on the other side. I've witnessed that as uh, my own experience. So by being there with these guys, you know, it's, it really just made me have compassion for them and try to educate them and empower them on why we were here no matter what they said, what they did, how they treated me. And that's been my role here is to educate and empower and articulate the scenario that we're seeing with the, the Dakota Access Pipeline and what that means to the indigenous people that's going through here, but also what that means back home to our own people that are following. You know, we've lost our, our food source. Two years ago, all the trout in our lake, at the Walker Lake in Nevada, were killed. And that has to do with environmental change. The, the vein of water that goes through has been cut off by um, corporate produce, you know. And I bring our issues here because it's already happened. And it's going to happen if we don't stop this pipeline.
You're listening to Flashpoints on Pacifica Radio. Let me ask you to talk a little bit about what you've been doing in terms of you're using technology for the people. And in this context, you're using drones. Talk a little bit about why you're using the drones and what you're learning uh, from their use and how that sort of uh, supports the work that you're doing with the indigenous communities here. Well, there's many things we're using. You know, uh, mobile technology is very important. You know, whatever you have in your hand. We have these iPhones, these Android phones, is more technology than they had in the 60s when they launched the, the man to the moon. I know this, and I run 100% of my business off of my phone. But also what we're doing is GPS and accurately from the phones, because we know those are GPS right there from where we're standing. I've used Google Maps, which is free. I've used uh, social media, which is free. And drones have been just, um, I, I guess, they're minute in my, in my opinion, because it's just a tool. Uh, my drones have been shot down, you know, illegally which we know that, and um, but it's documented what they have been doing all the way from their signals on the top of their cars to their maneuvers and their military action, their um, corporate military action from one side is the Dakota Access Pipeline is corporate military action. The sheriff's also corporation is, is untrained militarized. The drones have documented these mercenaries going over and being deputized in ways where they're fully covered. You can't see who they are. We document these... Uh, people and we see them all the time so you start to know their walk their movements like they know us and um i've had to stay in in not just prayer but transparency so we have a clear painted picture of what's happening and the drones were going live there for a while before they did the media blackout and are going to continue to go live and share the story even if it means you know that people are going to jail every day to protect the water so there's many factors that go into play here. It's an intellectual battle, and we're intellectual warriors, and we're articulating technology through indigenous eyes. And very specifically, for instance, today you had the drones up. What were you trying to ascertain? What kinds of um, information did you gain today? Well, what we're doing today is training, training other drone pilots. Uh, a few days ago, I did an indigenous women's training, and I want to give the drone to a native filmmakers, a group, you know, that are going out there to protect and, but most important, articulate the narrative here, the visual legal narrative in a good way. Um, it's not to go out and, and start putting um, just where it just looks like chaos. I call that forced media. And I've seen a lot of that here. And so I want to empower our native filmmakers to go out and uh, not break the, break the law, but break the rules and what they're doing. And we're breaking the rules here. And we're doing it by articulating the FAA regulations, FCC regulations, spectrum, tribal airspace, sovereignty, inherent sovereignty, and and seeing that, yeah, this is in violation of the 1851 treaty. I'm not even from here, but I know about that treaty. So this is, uh, the goal here is to empower the locals here to empower themselves to look at this, how important it is, because when you come through that front gate, it's, it's the process of decolonizing and it's an altar that I consider. And this is one of the most powerful places in the world for that healing because you have a diversity of spiritual backgrounds from all over the world coming here to pray in one voice. It's powerful. And we have to respect that also with the drones and the technology, when and when not to film, which I'm sure you guys got your card, you got the, the spill on the digital protocols, which I, which I started 
back in the the media when it was in a little little tent you know we didn't have anything humble beginnings and uh it was protocol i used with the youth when and when not to film you know you don't film ceremonies you ask for permission you don't fill the kids unless you have the permission you're you're following traditional cultural protocol in the second decade of the 21st century but we're doing it through digital protocol one has a sense you're 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 rescuing back the new technology for the people i mean when i hear the word drone i think about palestine and the way in which uh the israeli occupiers used drones to slaughter innocent people who had no defense and nowhere to run uh, they have been used we've seen in afghanistan as a part of a u.s assassination program so here you are uh turning it uh for the people um what has been the response of 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 those um, of that attempt, have the authorities gotten a little bit angry? Are they frustrated with you? Are you? Have they tried to take your drones? Have they tried to put you in jail? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. On October eighth, um, we were documenting where they were working within the sixteen mile to the twenty mile buffer zone, and um, I used the drone as surveillance at that time. I, I go in every direction. I see no dust, and. Um, during that time, I seen a plane going really slow above me, very, very slow. Like these, these are huge planes, but it was low and it was going slow, like two miles an hour. I don't know how it was going so slow, and I just, I'm like, guys, we got to get out of here. And when we left, the drone had to follow me out, and the cops started appearing. They were coming in from ten miles out. They closed in in the box. They've been looking for me for two months. They just couldn't get me. The drone I had is, is was customized to go eight miles, line of sight, you can see it. And um, you know, one of those those things that you look, you think, what could I have done differently? There's really nothing I could have done. They had a military plane that was tracking me. They've been tracking me and until they found me going up in air there. I'm assuming they were using radar because you can track the drones through their movement. It was up at a legal height. And when it came down, they were pulled me over and uh, but the first time we voluntarily stopped to see well maybe they just let us go they did let us go but we left because there was no pulling us over we voluntarily stopped but when the drone said critical battery low because it's been in the air for over 20 minutes that's when he pointed up and we took off and i landed the drone in front of us and i did everything legal as possible because i could have caught the drone like i usually do but these cops are right behind us so i dropped it picked it up put it in the car five minutes later we were pulled over by 14 officers 14, 14 vehicles which each vehicle has two officers but there was about eight or nine in front of me no badges no names and we know these guys already and they as a passenger they asked me to get out which i don't legally have to get out i don't have to give them any id and uh, my seatbelt was on so i had an all legal parameter to stay where i was at we already had their agenda. They made up that this thing that they had a, a warrant. I asked to produce the warrant. And I also asked them that they had no, told them they had no permission to go through the vehicle. They violated all of those. And I know there's the Fifth Amendment or the, where I have the right to remain silent as well. But I couldn't tell they were talking to me. So I was like, all right, I'm Facebook Live. There's about 30,000 viewers on. I'm going to help let the world see what's happening here. And I continued, plus 
being 70 miles out and having officers with no name tags on is kind of uneasy, you know? (laughs) And so, uh, but that drone action shut down the DAPA workers that day. You know, a single drone shut them down. They actually shut down and they were leaving. So um, they drove by me, every one of them. I looked at them and, and I'm getting to know these guys really well by seeing them. But that uh, that action happened not just there. They let me go. They stole my drone. So I went to the um, police department with my lawyers, and I filed a theft against Jonathan Mall, which we know his name, who stole my drone. He's the cop. He's the cop that stole my drone. When I see them stuttering, when they're talking to me, I, I got them. I know I got them intellectually. And I just let them incriminate themselves. And uh, I don't try to be sarcastic to them or anything like that. I want to educate them and let them know what they're doing is wrong. And hopefully I can touch their spirit in a way where they're, they're, if they're not listening, their spirit's listening. That's what's in the most important part. And as I started to document every officer, every FBI agent, and even the DAPL security, we started to see that, you know, something's going on here. That's when we see in the militarization and cooperation and then later on, no one believed me when I told them it was National Guard as well. And so I had to start going on night actions and filming them as well, working together. And then I got to really talk to them because they like, they didn't know what was going on. And then I started seeing interagencies coming in. And where we are today in domestic uh, terrorism is where they put us. This is, their, this is their justification that they're using. We're their training ground. And this is what America needs to wake up to is that we are no longer 500 years ago. This is now the second decade of the 21st century, and we have intellectual warriors now that are now knowing how to articulate this militarization because we've experienced it for 500 years. And But this is like 500 years all over again. And as the ghost dance, when the massacre happened during the ghost dance, if they could have had Facebook at that time, that would have never happened, you know, because they did send runners out. They did try to get a reach out, but it wasn't fast enough. And today we have that reach, and that's what we are doing. We're educating and empowering today, and that's not going to happen again. And we stand in prayer as they did during the ghost dance. And we're demonstration. This is a demonstration of prayer. And by educating them on every action that we do, they're waking up, and officers are leaving the force. They're leaving. They're they're pulling back their uh, their agencies, and some of them are denying coming here because they're seeing what we're doing. We're unarmed, and we're in prayer. And as of yesterday during Veterans Day, the the guys on the other side, the National Guard, didn't even salute, didn't even honor their veterans when they saw the, everything the protocol was going were in honoring the veterans. So I've interviewed some military that were, you know, they felt that was shameful what they're doing, you know, what they're witnessing. And there's Navy, there's different, there's Green Beret, there's Army, there's uh, Air Force and, and some National Guard so there's people that are there that have taken that oath, and they say they're taking an oath. They're breaking that oath. We're seeing that that militarization is going to enact a martial law soon down the road. So we're the training ground. America is now the training ground for what we're going to see down the road. And I don't think you have to be a, a scholar or a, have a vision to see what we're seeing on the ground right now because this is going to happen. We watched it play out in the last several months. Did you get your drone back? I did not get my drone back. Everyone else got their expensive equipment back, and you know, and my court date was set out for January. That makes no sense, but I'm thankful I don't have a felony. But you know, I have a stalking charge on a mercenary, and I think that's pretty cool. These guys are mercenaries. They said they were scared for their lives 
<laughs> the mercenaries. The mercenaries, yes. And, and you do try and talk to some of these folks right head on? Oh, of course. I, I got, you know, you can see a lot of the Facebook lives, even one in South Dakota. They had no clue what they were doing here. And I asked them if I can pray for them, and they're like, nah. I'm like, wow, really? I've never seen someone turn, or, turn that away. So I shared with them that I was going to um, send them a blessing anyway. And they're like, well, do you have to be here? And I go, hey, it's power in place. I've got the power, and this is the place. So it says, if you're not going to, if I don't speak to you, then I'm going to talk to your spirit. And I prayed for them in a good way that they were protected. And Kirschmeyer called on the phone. I go, hey, tell Kirschmeyer, I said, hello. You know, it's, and they rolled up their window, and that was it. He's probably saying, dummies, quit talking to that guy. Because that's always what happens is the conversation calls. They, they get a phone call and they have to quit talking. But this has happened more than once. Um, a lot of being on the ground is is being there in the front lines. We are now in the front lines. The camp is the front lines. And I've witnessed Morton County Police Department break many rules. One of the other ones where we got in a 100-mile-an-hour speed chase. I chased them down to the, police, to the National Guard barricade. They were taking pictures in front of the school of our children. And I chased them all the way down. I called 911. And I was on Facebook Live when we were doing this. And we got almost to the police barricade. The officers pulled to the side and they slowed down and all the police pulled me over. Um, I didn't know they were officers. All I knew that men were taking pictures of our children, which is predatory activity. And this is what we have seen with the, the Morton County Police Department time and time and time over again. They're bad cops and concealing bad police activity. When I say bad cops, I mean, they're not professional. I'm assuming they're, they're good men and where they're at, but they are bad at what they do. They stick out like sore thumbs when they try to tell somebody. I mean, do they not watch movies and, you know, Dirty Harry and all that? It's like they're not great cops. So we catch them following us. We catch them with the planes. They're, they can't hide what they're doing. And when I caught them on 911 and Facebook Live, they tried to lie to me. And I told them, well, I'm chasing predators. And they were going to cite me for interfering with uh, law enforcement and the traffic. They're trying to make something up. So I said, you know, 911's on. There's predators. I don't know they're police officers. And I continued to just go and stick with that. And then finally they said, Myron, you can go. They know me by first name. So as I drove away, I said, is it okay if I turn around? I don't want to get a, a warrant, you know, an, an, a, another charge for turning around. Because I did get pulled over for crossing a smog lane, you know. So he says, you're fine. Turn around, Myron. These guys call me by my first name. You know, it's crazy. So as we drove away, I, I saw the guy that was in the car. And I says, good morning, uh, Mr. Mall." And he waved his hand, and as he realized he waved his hand, he put it down real slow. Got him, just like that. And that's what we're witnessing, that type of action. And we see it every day. Someone new comes in. They just stick out like a sore thumb. They can't even, even infiltrators stick out like a sore thumb. We're in prayer. There's something that's uh, in synchronicity here. And when you feel someone's not in synchronicity, you can feel it. You know, we say uh, to bad cops in California, no donuts. <laughs> Thank you so much for uh, talking with us. This is incredible work. I guess uh, young, you're working with young people all the time, and they're oh, yeah. inspired by this, and they're ready to go. Yes, they're born with this stuff growing out of their fingertips. Well, you, you know, I didn't mention that. You know, I work with youth media outside of here, and I have a youth media group running around here with youth council, and they're filming. And uh, as they continue to change, I just keep doing the work I did out in any country in here and continue to do here. Um, a few days ago, we put on a women's drone class for the filmmakers. 
and just continue to empower as much as we possibly can, even our non-native relatives. Beautiful. And can people get in touch with you? How do people learn more about your work? How do they get in touch with you? Oh, yeah, you got Digital Smoke Signals. Um, you can go to Digital Smoke Signals on Facebook, digitalsmokesignals.com, and uh, sign up. And also, um, you know, just, just send me a message on Myron Dewey, too, on Facebook. Um, I try to get back to everybody. You know, some people tell me the life story. I try to tell them, keep it short, one paragraph. But, you know, it's important that we all are being heard. And this is a ceremony, and you being outside of this camp doesn't mean you're not part of the ceremony. You're tending fire, you're tending wood, you're cutting wood, and that's part of the ceremony is even when you don't, if you cook, you're still part of the ceremony and the blessing. So I want to say thank you to everyone that is standing in solidarity, sharing their donations, and it doesn't go unnoticed. Um, you know, the donations we get, even though when it got through treaty camp, they desecrated those do donations. The cops and the mercenaries had peed and feces all over the sacred items down there. Really? And this is what we documented as well. With the film? With, uh, we know with the officers telling us, we apologize, but this is what they did. We're sorry. This is not us. And uh, this is not who we are. And it's shameful what they did together. And so, you know, sacred items, everything was taken care of. It's spiritually cleaned and, and put to rest the way it needs to be when it's desecrated like that. And they're continuing to desecrate the land today as we witness over there, you know, just a mile over the road, but we can see up on the hill with the dozers. So, you know, we, we have, uh, we're, we're in prayer here, we're in healing together, and uh, I think it's one of the most spiritual places that I've ever been to collectively that a lot of people now have the remedy for post-traumatic stress. It's here, standing in unity and solidarity together and laughing and singing and eating together. It's beautiful. Thank you. Appreciate it. Oh.